You're listening to Education Experts with EDX Education. Education is evolving. Join Heather Welch from EDX Education chatting with teachers, psychologists, parents, authors, creatives, and other talented experts to keep up with the trends and what's happening from around the globe. This podcast series from EDX Education discusses home learning, school readiness, being creatives, changing in education, discussing what's next, hands-on learning, or as we like to say, learning through play. Welcome everyone, I'm Heather Welch from EDX Education and today I'll be in conversation with Corey Josias. Corey's a mum, a teacher of the deaf and entrepreneur. She arrived in the UK 40 years ago and stepped into the magical world of pop singing, then reinventing herself as a teacher of the deaf in her early 40s. Her most recent career change finds her running a thriving health and beauty business alongside her coaching business, which we'll chat about today. Today, we're chatting to Corey about teacher of the deaf, signs, importance of seeking help, impact of language development in the early years, and as an entrepreneur, how she ended up in the UK and on the stage within a week. Welcome, Corey. It's wonderful you could join us today. Hi, Heather. Thank you. It's really nice to be here. I was just wondering, could you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them about your passion for making the world smile? Ah, well, that's a great question. I'm originally American. I've lived in the UK for 42 years now. And making the world smile is an interesting phrase. I would say my job is to enable people to find their greatness, to find who they really are, to find their authentic voice and to become the best version of themselves. Now, I understand you do that in two ways. One, as your coaching business, that's and another one as a teacher of the deaf. So there's two ways that you can make everyone smile from, from the early years all the way up to adults. <laughs> Absolutely. And a health and beauty business. So yeah, I'm definitely someone who's passionate about helping people. And I, I feel really fortunate because that's always been an informing principle of my life is that where I see something needs to be done, I get in there and do it. So that was really how I came to be a teacher of the deaf was that originally I was an, as a, a, a sign language communicator and I was working in schools and I could see the children weren't getting what they needed. So I decided to retrain as a teacher of the deaf. And that was in my late 30s all around getting married and having two kids. So it was a busy time, but that's kind of how I roll. So I understand that the first week that you ended up in the UK, that you ended up on the stage within a week. I'd love to hear more about that. So what happened was, I actually, it wasn't immediate. I did work as a waitress for a little while, but what happened was I answered an advert in an an entertainment paper, which was auditioning people for a singing group. And it so happened that they were looking for people who could do the sort of American jazz style stuff. And that was right up my street. So I auditioned and a week later, I was live on national television in front of 16 million people. So that was a pretty, pretty big rags to riches story. Needless to say, I was able to give up my waitressing job at that point. So (laughs) I kind of jumped straight into the music business where I had a career for about 15 years and I'm still involved, although definitely not as heavily as I was back then. What a wonderful introduction to the UK. (laughs) What a wonderful way to start 
to be embraced by the British culture as well. So what are your highlights from being a pop star? Can I call you a pop star or is that not politically correct? Is there another way to? Call me a pop star if you want, although star would probably be over-egging it. Um, One of them was singing at a live concert in Brazil with a guy who was very famous at the time called Rick Wakeman. Some of you older people may have heard of him. And we did a a gig in front of 250,000 people live. So that was pretty incredible. Some of the other highlights included, you know, really traveling around the world, particularly Europe and, and America, and meeting lots of amazing people and living the rock star lifestyle of, you know, flying around, being flown first class, staying in five-star hotels. That's the way they did it in those days. They don't really do that now so much, but yeah, it was, it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. Just so much fun and so amazing to be paid for doing something you absolutely love. So did any of your, were your children able to come on to any of these tours? Did they join you with anything? Oh my goodness, no, no, no. My career (laughs) in music preceded their birth by probably 15, 20 years. I had my kids in my early 40s and and my touring days were mostly in my 20s and early 30s. So they hear the stories. I hadn't even met my husband, so I'm... With the, the whole motherhood and teaching stuff, I'm actually quite a late bloomer. So the children, but did any of the children take after your musical talents? Have they gone anywhere with the music? You know what? One of them takes after his father in that regard, and I'm not going to say any more than that. The other <laughs> one, I believe, does have some musical talent, but he never really pursued it. He had He took up the trumpet when he was little and then gave it up for other things. I believe he's 21 and I I actually believe that he will at some point start to pick it up again because he does love music and I I can hear that he has talent but you know it takes a certain kind of person to want to get up in front of other people and not everybody wants that no especially 250,000 that's a lot of people to be performing in front of <laughs> indeed oh. The weird thing is that it's actually scarier to sing in a pub than it is in front of 250,000 people or scarier to get in front of a classroom because, you know, you're you're right in front of people when it's a smaller audience, whereas when it's a really big audience, there is a, there is a slight sense of detachment. Oh, that's really interesting, actually. I can see yeah. how you'd say that. It's like when you lecture through, you have a large hall you lecture to or you do a little tutorial. It's a... A lot more personal, isn't it? The way that they Absolutely. can interact as well. But what I was going to say is that you've, I mean, big change, pop star to a teacher. So what was the big career change? Was it family? Was it motherhood? No, really, it was just the vagaries of the music business. I mean, I, you know, I was no longer flavor of the month. I got a bit older and um, it just became harder to get work. And that's kind of how it is, you know. Actually, I I would argue that the music business is less ageist now than it was back then, but it was definitely, you know, ages and stages thing. Very few people have the good fortune to make money at music throughout their lives. And I think you have to be willing to make sacrifices that perhaps I wasn't willing to make. That is like being poor. So, (laughs) 
you know, that that's, of course, there are some people who are lucky and, and, you know, I would never discourage someone from pursuing their dreams, but to do it as a profession is very different than doing it for the love. And I was really fortunate to have, to have achieved a good level in the profession and have done a real range of stuff, you know, from touring to television to session singing. But, you know, it it wasn't financially sustainable for me. So, you know, I reinvented myself. And that's when I got into deaf education. Do you think, because you have this love for music and you that you'd want to share it, and because if you're deaf, you don't necessarily hear the sounds or you hear the sounds differently depending on the profoundness of your deafness or... Do you think this is why you ended up in this particular career? Because it's something that you love and you'd like them to share? Do you know, that's a great question, but no. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. The reason I I ended up, and this is, I think for me, it's more about connection. So the reason I ended up as a teacher of the deaf was that I met a guy on a Buddhist course who was profoundly deaf and could only use sign language. And I fancied him. So I decided to start learning sign language very, very quickly. And then (laughs) as a result, I, you know, nothing that went nowhere, but even to add to the complication, he lived in Northern Ireland and I lived in London and it was during the troubles. So I don't, I don't take the, tend to take the easy route, but anyway, it, it did prompt me to learn sign language. And I discovered this, incredible world of British Sign Language, the deaf community, understanding that it was much more than a language and really becoming curious about that. And then when I became what's called a communicator, which is which is something below an interpreter and, and usually communicators work in schools, I went into the school and I realized these kids were not getting a fair deal. They just weren't getting a fair deal. And at that time I was in my late thirties. I thought, can I really retrain not just as a teacher, but as a teacher of the deaf, which involved going back, getting a PGCE and then doing my advanced diploma, which I guess you'd call a master's in deaf education. And I thought, well, what the hell? Why not? You know, I, I'm, I'm someone who looks at the challenge rather than thinking of it as an obstacle, I, I became solution oriented or orientated as they say over here. And I just jumped in and I learned and it was exciting and yeah, it just opened up a whole new world. So the original reason was connection and, and seeing a need. And it was nothing to do with music at all. The only connection, the loose connection you could make is that people who are musical also have a gift for languages often. And so I love languages and and there isn't really a much more fascinating language than British Sign Language or than, you know, sign language in general, because it's a visual language and that in itself is opens up a whole new way of thinking. So that's my that's my story of how I ended up in in deaf education. 
So is there, so you, you classified as, sorry, you're talking about it as British sign language. Is there an international sign language and then there's dialects or is that how it works? No, no. Sign like British sign language, uh, sign languages are country specific in the same way that other languages are country specific. So American sign language is completely different from British sign language. And although there may be in the, in the same way that if you spoke Spanish, you might pick up a few words of Italian, you could, you know, then you might be able to understand a little bit. That's about how similar they are. They're different languages, American sign language, Swedish sign language, British sign language. Each country has its own language. And it's funny that people, it feels like when people ask that question, they're not really seeing it as a full language, which is which is not a judgment, but it's it is really interesting because if you think about it, why would sign language be any more universal than spoken language? Sign language is not the same as gesture. Now, of course, gestures could be universal, but that is not a language. Gesture is not a language. A language is a full system with grammar. You know, and yes, there are signs that look like what they are, like house, for example, you do a little, you know, your hands together to show a roof. That's probably something anyone around the world could understand. But then you get to the more subtle things like feelings, for example, and, and how you communicate. You know, there, there are so many subtleties and different ways of saying things. So, for example, how you say afternoon. Well, there isn't anything visual that you could particularly do for afternoon. So it's going to be different in every country. And the lip patterns are connected to the language being spoken. So I don't speak Swedish. So why would I be able to speak Swedish sign language? Do you see? So is, so is that coming towards your lip reading as well? So lip patterning is lip reading? Similar? No, lip, a lip pattern is a facial expression that's connected to the sign. So you do have, when you're signing, there are some signs that have, it's really hard to explain, there are some signs that would have the lip pattern of the word, and there are others that are more subtle that have nothing to do with the word. And I can't really explain that without being visual because it, it would be impossible. No, I think that's really interesting what you've said about, you know, there's gestures, but there's so, the actual language is completely different. So it's like saying that English and Chinese are the same, which they're not. You know, the yeah. way that even if you yeah. interpret it, if you do a, a straight terp- interpretation, it wouldn't work. It doesn't no, work. it like wouldn't that. work. And so, don't get me wrong, some signs look like what they are, and those are called iconic signs. And those are probably the ones that you could quite easily use with small children. But as a language, it's a full language. If you went to a foreign country and you wanted to say, I need a lift, you'd probably do a steering wheel, wouldn't you? So that's the sign for driving. But you couldn't do that for every word in the language. You couldn't. No. No, not at all. It's like when you teach your children when they're too sort of young to 
want something or they don't have as much speech. I know my little boy had hearing issues and it caused a lot of speech delay. So we used to sort of just do signs for him for if he wanted to eat or if he wanted to play and things like that because otherwise he was getting really frustrated and would have a breakdown in uh, communication or would have a little bit of a tantrum, so negative behaviour because he was just frustrated and he thought we could understand but we couldn't understand what he wanted type yeah. thing because it ended up only being glue ear but it sounded as though explained to me it sounded like our words sounded to him like he was we were speaking underwater absolutely so he, yeah so he couldn't hear it I suppose what's one of the things that you would say you know what for parents and caregivers to look out for in the early years because I know I understand that you work for zero to five years old for signs of you know is it speech delay is it you know what do you look up what to see if your child might have a hearing loss? Yeah. I mean, the biggest one would be speech delay for sure. Yeah, I, I would say that speech and language delay would be the biggest one to look out for. And, you know, are they responding to sounds in the environment appropriately? Although, you know, if you have a really loud sound, even a child with a hearing loss is going to probably, you know, if you, there's a if there's a drill outside, the child will probably hear it. But yeah, speech and language delay would be the top, my top one. But sometimes they can hear, say, as you're saying, like a drill or that high pitchness, but they can't hear sort of like the monotone, the monotone it's voice. Not that it's it's the speech. Yeah, it's it's. Deafness does not mean you can't hear anything. It means you can't hear everything. So it means that there are certain sounds and the ones we're concerned with are speech sounds. So yes, there are a range of sounds that a child can and can't hear. I mean, for, for parents who want to look it up, there's something called the speech banana and you can just go in Google and Google images and type in speech banana and it shows you the sorts of sounds that you can hear with normal hearing and that you wouldn't be able to hear if your child has a hearing loss. And is that um, but, you know, I, I would, I would really, I would simply say that anyone who suspects their child has a hearing loss should go to their GP because the, you know, that's, that's the first port of call. And the other thing is that we do have newborn hearing screening in this country. So it is unlikely that a hearing loss from birth wouldn't have been detected. However, that doesn't mean that a child can't acquire deafness, like in the case of glue ear, which you experienced, which is a whole different story and is usually not permanent. No. But, we've got, you know, this, this country has a very, very good neonatal uh, newborn hearing screening program it's very likely it would be picked up. They do it, I think, within 24 hours of the baby being born. That's no, very quickly. I was going to ask, is a speech banana an international or is it a British, is it British, if you want to look it's it up? It's definitely or... British and American. Actually, I don't know. That's a great question. It's certainly universal in terms of what people can hear and what they can't hear. I mean, it just is, it, it's just that certain other languages wouldn't have the same sounds as we have, but it shows where the sounds are in the in terms of speech frequencies, which is a little bit complicated. But you know, if you want to have a general idea, because it has pictures of birds tweeting and pianos playing and mowers, and you can it'll just give you something you can say, oh well, is my child 
hearing these sounds. Like if you go, which is really hard to hear over this form of amplification that, you know, this recording, can the child hear those? That's P, T, K, that kind of thing. Uh, I don't want to get too complicated here because it is (laughs) really at the end of the day, if a parent has any suspicion of hearing loss, they should go to their GP. And that's the bottom line. And I would really encourage someone to do that. So just ignore everything else I said. (laughs) (laughs) Corey, I understand you're actually an entrepreneur. So I know that you've uh, got two businesses at the moment. You probably have another one as well. But at the moment, you're doing a health and beauty business alongside a coaching, a coaching as well. So I would love to hear it. And this is called Corey Loves Life. Yes. So Corey Loves Life is the name of my my it's that's just my website coreyloveslife.co.uk my story was that in 2014 i decided to leave my 20 year marriage and i knew i needed to find another way to make an income on top of my teaching and i also knew that i'm not someone with an employee mindset so at that time i discovered network marketing and it was with a health and beauty company. And that opened up the whole world of building community and personal development, which I'm absolutely passionate about. But basically it's a company with 300 consumable products, everything from uh, nutrition to skincare, all with very strong green credentials. So that's one of my businesses. And then my coaching business, is for women after breakup and divorce and to help them find the fullest expression of themselves. I'm also an energetic breakthrough practitioner. I'm being qualified at the moment, so I can't rightly call myself one, but I'm I'm pretty well underway with that. It's a, a method devised by someone called Lenka Lutanska, and it's fabulous. It deals with the energetics of, of interchange. And so For women who are going through significant life changes, and divorce is a massive life change, it's really helpful to heal, first of all, the wounds that precipitated a breakdown in a relationship or indeed choosing the wrong relationship, and also to really find out who they are. Does that make sense, Heather? Yeah, it completely makes sense. I mean, one thing I'd ask at the moment is are you finding that it's I mean people have had quite a difficult year and sort of a lot of people you know turn around and think what other opportunities are there do I want to be in this situation at the moment and after the last 12 months have you found this is quite something I don't know not on trend but people you found it's quite busy this space this area We'll put it this way. The company, the company has grown by 50% in the last two years. So there is definitely a growth trend, but people being people, some people will step up and some people are really understandably very scared and very stuck. You know, my thing is if I, if I can find a way to help you get in touch, because I just think, people have way more potential than they realize. And I think this is the thread running through my life is how can you fulfill your potential? How can you step into your light 
to quote a cliche, how can you become the fullest expression of yourself? And I'm really dedicated to that. I love it. You know, it's, it's just so exciting. I'm going to be 65 this year and I am not really suffering from any diminution of passion or excitement or liveliness or zest for life. So I just think if I can do it, anyone can do it, really. It just takes a decision. Corey, do you have workshops or anywhere that someone can look look up and sort of get in touch with you? Can they... How, what's the best place for people to get in touch with you? It's very easy to connect with me on Facebook with my name, Corey Josias, C-O-R-I-J-O-S-I-A-S. You can contact me through my website, which is a minimal website because most people connect through social media these days. And that's Corey Loves Life. Corey spelled C-O-R-I, CoreyLovesLife.co.uk. And also I have a Facebook group called Surviving to Thriving, Finding the Real You After Breakup and Divorce. So any of those ways, really. Wonderful. And do you run workshops or seminars where if someone's a little bit unsure, they can just have a, like they can dip their toe and have a look rather than going into anything? I have, I have some pre-recorded webinars. I'm actually doing on the 18th, I'm doing a live webinar on dating, funnily enough. And in the group, you will, you will see me because I'm, I'm there doing my Facebook lives and, you know, posting and all that stuff. And I probably will run a small group webinar. I just need to get my act together on that. As you can probably hear, I'm a I'm a super busy person, so I'm tr- always looking for ways to leverage what I have. I mean, I've got about seven pre-recorded webinars. So if people reach out to me, the first thing I would say is, you know, let's have a, a quick chat. It's really, I'm non-threatening and it doesn't, it doesn't cost you anything to have a chat. Corey, what a wonderful experience you've got to offer as well, going from, you know, being live on the stage and having all this experience around the world, you know, being an expat coming over and finding your feet again to, you know, being part of the community teaching and now building your own community within the business side and the coaching business. So I think it'd be an asset to anyone that would want to have a chat and get in touch with you. So thank you so much for chatting with us today. I really appreciate it. Yes, I'm, I love it. Thank you so much for asking me. And it's really been nice to meet you. Let's stay connected. Thank you, Corey. There are so many exciting developments happening right now in education. EDX Education would love to hear from you. So do get in touch or subscribe to our podcast, which is available on Apple, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn, and so many more. This podcast series is brought to you by Heather Welch from EDX Education. As she'd like to say, let's create lifelong learners.